Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Sans Pants Radio. Fight that dragon. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey everyone, this episode was recorded last week live at the Metropolitan Hotel in North Melbourne as part of Melbourne Fringe. If you want to actually watch this episode, just head on over to our YouTube channel, Sanspan Cinemascope, where you can compare for yourself just how much Gabe looks like Brand Stark. Hello, thank you all for coming out tonight and welcome to a very special live episode of Movie Maintenance. I'm Gabe. I'm Handsome Tom. I'm Carney. And I missed the part where we say some things just need fixing. Tonight, some TV shows just need fixing. And tonight, it is Game of Thrones. Best season so far. Yeah. Yeah. Best season. So So many good things happen. So many good things. Tom, you sound like a bit of a fan. Look, I'm a, I'm a big fan of a will-they-won't-they, they, even if it is incestuous. So when I got the sexual tension of the will-they-won't-they, they, knowing that it was an aunt and a nephew, I'm like, you know what? That's fine. But what does the show Pick. have for you then next season? Because there's no, like, they can't out-incest oh. themselves anymore. Uh, <laughs> nah, fair. <laughs> who's, who's left? Uh, no one, actually. So many people are dead. Uh, so... Unless it's like some Stark family. That's dark. Yeah. That's dark early. <laughs> that was all right. No, it wasn't. It wasn't all right. It was... No, no, not, not, not the incest, which I, you know, honestly... By that point, I think my sort of ability to care about anything that happened in Game of Thrones had been burnt out of me by the end of this shit show of a season. At what so point did that happen? When the, when the aunt-nephew incest came, I was sort of like, yeah, all right. But, um, yeah, when, did you, when did you die inside? Look, to be honest... It's kind of been coming for a while. Like, season five sort of started it. Season six very much continued it. And season seven consolidated it. And I'm going to get a collective groan from a lot of people here. But for me, the moment Game of Thrones started going... Keep going. I was going to say off the books. Oh. Uh. Was, 
Oh, I've read the, the books. It started uh, falling apart. Oh, no, I'm, I'm literate and the books are better. Oh, what a shame. Um, Just because I can't read. But I'm not, it, to, to me, it's kind, of, it's kind of consolidated. You know, there's a lot of complaints about why George R. R. Martin takes so long to bring out every book. And then you kind of look at the TV show and you're like, oh, because if you take that plot and don't take seven years to write a book, that's what you get. Nothing makes sense. It's fucking stupid. Oh, let's, let's, mind, made sense. let's mind Dragonglass for like the whole season on this island. Then, oh, we got to go north. You know what we won't bring? Dragonglass. Nah, mate, a fan then, took a screenshot. Jorah had a little Dragonglass. Thank uh, you. Oh, well, colour me corrected. Yeah. Um, what about... <laughs> What about the great bit where um, when they're all sort of walking and bonding in their trip north of the wall, when they probably would have had any of these conversations on, great oh, episode. I don't know, great the five-week boat trip it would have taken them to get there. Boat trip and is boring. And it's at that bit when they're beyond the wall when Jon Snow's like, oh, you know what can kill White Walkers? Valerian steel. What do I have a Valerian steel sword? What am I going to do? Offer my Valerian steel sword to Jorah in a moment of bonding at precisely the moment I probably need it the most. How can you but defend that? But no, no, that? couldn't have that conversation on the boat. Would you want me to defend that? Go. So uh, it's oh, more meaningful go. for Jorah to turn <laughs> down the sword no. to give it to John because he's like, no, no, you've earned it more. You're more of a son to my father than I ever was. Sister's father fingers tick, Sean. Back to Gabe, though. <laughs> I, I, I was happy with that. Back to Gabe. <laughs> Why didn't that conversation happen on the boat? <laughs> Oh, because we didn't need so people have like the biggest gripe out of this season has been like oh the travel the travel right yeah. F- fuck that right so the travel thing I feel like I'm watching Where's Wally <laughs> no but see but there's no there's nothing wrong with that so we know that the, <laughs> no, but there is. The, it's a condensed season right we know there's only one more season after this these seasons are shorter than any of the seasons before them so seven and six episodes or something like that right so they're short so they obviously don't have enough story to accurately show travel on screen right. So if they showed a five-day boat journey, they just run out of plot. And no, 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 that's no. that's not an issue. That's actually not an issue. It's how they handle it. So back in the back at the very start of Game of Thrones, what made it work was the fact that within the context of this fantasy world it existed in, everything made sense. Everything was accounted for, and everything felt like realistic human behavior. And we've gotten to a point now where it's things like even at the end of season six, when Arya killed Walder Frey, and it was like, oh great, yeah, yeah like a Tumblr Tumblr fan moment. But at the same time, it was like, Mate, okay, that, was that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like you're telling me that she somehow got in there, got the face, killed three of the princes of the twins, baked them into a pie, presumably by herself, because chances are as fucked up as the twins are, they're probably not all down with cannibalism, and then managed to feed them to the Lord of the Twins without anybody realizing what she was doing. She was and good then- friends with Hot Pie, so there's the pie baking. Done. <laughs> Who, the, start, the first episode of season seven established, was in a completely different place on the map the whole time. No, 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 no but she's been around him and he was baking like when they were friends. That's so she's like, stretch, picked up some baking skills. One. Um, and then, you know, the whole Arya, Sansa, Littlefinger stuff in the north. And look, and that's kind of... I'll concede that. Because, like, you know, for, for context, what we're doing is a little bit different to what we normally do with the maintenance. We've each actually chosen one different subplot that we're going to tackle fixing. And I'm taking on the Sansa, Arya, Littlefinger stuff, which to me I thought was great in theory. Like, I love the idea that Sansa's spent seasons and seasons being sort of inadvertently trained by Littlefinger and then sort of has to outmaneuver him. But the way it played out was so fucking stupid because the whole thing where it's like, oh, no, Sansa and Arya are at odds and they're having these arguments, which we later find out were ostensibly to ruse Littlefinger. So why then were they having these arguments in closed rooms with nobody else around <laughs> for, for all those witnesses who I guess would relay it to no, Littlefinger? But, but, okay, but then <laughs> the showrunners came out and said, no, 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 there was a deleted scene. So when I heard that, I got excited. Because right? you defended this for a so, long time. Well, my biggest gripe is always like when you have like a con film or a crime film and you have like a scene like that. So the best, it's the Matchstick Men example. If you've ever seen Matchstick Men, the reveal is that the daughter's in on it and there's a scene where the daughter's by herself and she's still acting in character of the con, which doesn't make sense because no one else is around, yep. right? It's just, it's lying to the audience. And I was like, look, that happens at Winterfell because it's only Sansa and I are in the room. Yes, they're lying. But look, if they're lying, if that's the weak part of the writing, then I'll let it go. When they said, oh, there was an additional scene, I'm like, great. There's a scene of like a maid walking away from the room or Littlefinger listening in or something to just give the audience that last little bit that's like Arya and Sansa had to play a part. Yep. When I found out what the twist was, I, I did get upset because I was like, oh, the bad writing isn't we're lying to the audience. It's we've retconned a bunch of characters instead. <laughs> but they did that for the whole season with every character. False. Like how, how many of the characters are still like on point and to the characters like how many of them behave Davos. the way they should? Oh, but like he's become a shell. Like Gabe, I, I watched most of the episodes with Gabe, so uh, I watched his slow You're descent tainted. to madness. <laughs> You're tainted, <laughs> except for that one episode. You that watched we with watched. me, and did you have a good time, Sean? Oh, I had a pretty good time. Yes, <laughs> context then, is important. And then Gabe got really angry with me and said, "I'm watching a different fucking show to you guys. What are you doing?" Because I was watching this one show with them, and it was like I think it was the episode where you know. 
where Gilly was like, Oi, Sam, look at this. This is a record of these two people getting married. I right? wonder if that's significant. Oh. And these two were like, Oh, my God! And I'm sitting there being like, Am I watching a different show? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just getting dumber and dumber by the second. We were and going, oh like, my God. Wink, wink. I wonder if the audience oh, was picked up I on that. I liked it. During that bit. Yeah. I was on board that. I was, oh my God, for like the Avengers team up beyond the wall. Oh, yeah. Fuck, that was. Oh, yeah. And, and oh, Sorry. Gendry. Gendry, go back to the wall because you're the fastest. I love how you established that. Game uh, of he he rode real quick over six seasons. He rode very fast. Yeah. It's... Also, he's the fastest. It took him, what, four fucking seasons to row like from an island no, to no, no. the mainland? He's one been there for ages. Away. He literally establishes that. I've been here for ages. Didn't come looking. It's the first line he says. Mate, you didn't watch the show Again, closely. Thank <laughs> you. Apparently not. Apparently I'm not giving this, you know, Two points, Tom. Zero points, Gabe. Yes. So it's like, look, I will concede that the, the writing has deteriorated, but I think it's made up for it by just the fact that so, what I love about this season is that so many characters who haven't been together for ages or just have never shared screen time together are finally coming together. One of my favourite beats of the last end of season six was literally that shot where Varys walks out and he's like, yeah, I'm with these guys and Elena Terrell and the, although the Sand Snakes are crap. But those guys, like the fact that all these characters are starting to come together and all these threads are starting to come together, I'm excited. Who's, who's Varys? I wouldn't know because I don't see him ever. Yeah, look, fair. Yeah. But doesn't it bother you that so many of these characters have started acting so far out of character that yes. they're not really the people we fell in love with to begin with? I could name five like, who okay. are still the same character. Jamie Lannister, for example. Like, his whole... And again, I, I'm going to be this guy who's like, in the books. But, like, the whole thing is that in the books, after he goes in his whole journey uh, with uh. Brienne, which, again, is probably a highlight for a lot of fans of this show... Um, the whole thing is that he gets back to Cersei, he kind of realises, mm, probably not really right for this person anymore because, oh, I don't know, I've learned decency. And then you have that amazing moment in the books where he's off consolidating peace in the Riverlands. Cersei gets fucked over by the Faith Militant. She's about to do her naked walk and she sends a letter to Jamie and is like, please come and help me. And Jamie just burns the letter because he actually gets at the same time an offer from Brienne to be like, hey, come help me with this. He has a moment where he has to choose between the two of them and he chooses Brienne. And the show just decides to basically put all of that development on ice and have him just stay with Cersei and pretty much every episode Jamie's in he has like at least one moment where he's like I love Cersei like wh- why? No, but it's, like it's, haven't you grown beyond no. that? No we're just going to put your development on ice until the point where it becomes convenient like oh I don't know Cersei blowing up half of King's Landing didn't bother you with your newfound honour somehow? He's right like, Tom what are you shaking your head No, no, no. Like, that's fair. Like, yeah, he should leave. But the, the, the dramatic tension comes from the fact that he knows that he shouldn't stay with this woman who he loves. No, but they don't show you that. No, I don't think they, they do. They do a little. Like, they show that beat where he's lying in bed next to her and he kind of wakes up and he's like, this is nice. And then he kind of remembers, oh, no, it's not. You know what that moment is, though? That moment's a raw shark test for people who are still trying to convince themselves the show was good. And they look at that and they're like, oh, subtlety. Subtlety. No, that's not subtlety. I didn't, say it, was, I didn't say it was subtle. It just wasn't good. <laughs> It was fine. <laughs> it's look. It's not the strongest season, but I, I still I don't think no. it's the. I, oh, it's not the strongest season, but it's like you know, it's not the. It's not the dumpster fire that I think people are. You know, it's claiming spectacle it's over story now, though. Yeah, and yeah, I think part That's of that fun. is that you're okay with that. The spectacle's pretty fucking good. It's okay, but if you don't, no, no. If you don't Unquest- care about the characters, though, then... Unquestionably, spectacle. the spectacle is amazing. However, I kind of feel like what made Game of Thrones so special in the first place is that it was subversive. It was a fantasy show that we watched, and it was like... And I know that a few of these things were later retconned by the show, but it was like, oh, shit, our heroic hero has a bastard son from war. All the different characters had... And that was just the start of it. Like, oh, you know, here's your handsome prince character who's literally fucking his sister and throws a child out the window in the first episode. All of the fantasy tropes were perpetually subverted in a way that was so clever and so surprising. Like, Ned Stark getting killed at the end of the first season. Moments like that. Moments that subverted what we thought we would expect from this show. And that's what made Game of Thrones stand out because it was like, this isn't Lord of the Rings. This isn't Wheel of Time. This isn't every fantasy series you think you know. This doesn't adhere to those tropes. And now in season seven, no, it is those tropes. It's there's a chosen one, whether it's Daenerys or Jon Snow, fighting against the Dark Lord, who's the Night King, with dragons. And We've still got a powers. season to go, mate. Yeah, and look, it might surprise We could me. get George R. 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 Martin me. real hard. And, like, everyone dies and the Night King just sits on the throne and is like, cool, I'm the boss. And I honestly hope we will. But the quality of the writing <laughs> has not gotten to that point. All right, then. Mr. But in the Books. I feel, like the, I feel like the deaths don't matter anymore. They didn't kill off anyone, like, worth What did we get killing. this season? Littlefinger and they did... Elena Mart... Uh, oh, no, no, no. To be fair, actually, Littlefinger's death was, was like... And Walter uh, Frey. Important. And he'd already died. He's a fan favourite, right? <laughs> he'd already died. Previous season, man. 
Oh, yeah, that was in the... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. end of season six. Yeah, yeah you know, so... Uh, they, clearly, we, clearly I checked out early. But, like, we didn't get any, like... There was no one who died besides Littlefinger who was, like, you know, important. There was no, like, major death that made everybody... Uh, and that made us... I'm not afraid to be on Twitter or Facebook anymore when Game of Thrones comes out. Yeah, I am a little bit. difference. Yeah. That, I, I nearly, nearly got spoiled by old Blue Eyes Dragon. Didn't. But nearly did, so... Would it have mattered if you did? Yeah... No, like, you knew it was coming as soon as it started. What do we have to do to convince you that this is not working anymore? You've got two bits of paper oh, in front excellent. of you. Bring it on. Gabe, you want to dive in on the uh, on fixing the mess at Winterfell? Okay. So, um, as I said before, we've all taken a different subplot, and we're going to take a run at giving you a better version of it. Um, or at least what I hope is a better version of it, otherwise the entire premise of the podcast is moot. So, um, so I want to kick off the Winterfell Movie pod. slight fixing things. Some <laughs> films just kind of need fixing, maybe. maybe. Marginally improved? I don't know. So, um, I want to kick off the Winterfell plot more or less the same as it does in the show, uh, with Jon Snow forgiving those two traitorous families whose names I don't remember because who gives a shit. Anyway, his argument is more or less the same. There are bigger threats coming, and this is not the time for internal politics tearing people apart. Now, unlike in the bullshit TV show, we can see that Sansa is, like, a little bit bothered by this, but because she's not a fucking idiot, she doesn't call Jon Snow out and undermine him in front of the other lords because she understands the importance of a monarch inspiring confidence and being a good leader instead of being proven to be weak like Cersei has been for the last six seasons. However, in private, she confronts him, and it's here that we get a sense of the massive differences that their experiences have wrought between the two Starks. Consider the fact that Jon went beyond the wall and discovered that everything he'd been led to believe about the wildlings was wrong. And then meanwhile, Sansa systematically had all of her dreams about honour and chivalry and all those classic fantasy tropes systematically destroyed by her times at King's Landing. See, Sansa at this point is untrusting, verging on paranoid, assuming the worst in people, while Jon, maybe considering his relationship with the wildlings who came through for him when the Night's Watch didn't, is inclined to kind of give people the benefit of the doubt. Sansa tells him that executing them would have sent a message of power, but Jon argues that at this moment, forgiveness is what they need. It's the only way they can see past their own enmity in order to defeat the bigger threat. And this argument doesn't really go anywhere between them, but we see the conflict. Sansa thinks Jon is too trusting, John thinks Sansa is too bitter. So like in the show, Daenerys reaches out and asks John to join her and bend the knee. Sansa is immediately suspicious and warns him not to go. But John, having... Sorry. <laughs> you really love your incest, don't you, mate? Oh, it's, it's, it's not that. It's, I need to like clarify for people that like, I'm not into incest. <laughs> like, at all. Like, at the time it happened, there was part of me that was like, ugh, there's another part of me that was like, yes, finally! But like... Again, it's the it's the it's the sex the will they won't they storyline, right? Sounds so, like you're really enjoying. It. <laughs> Do you know what I'm doing? I'm just digging. For, just keep. I'll just keep going. Continue. So anyway, should I say should I say bend the knee again? No. No. Okay. Um, Sansa suspicious warns John not to go, but John, having learned about the dragon glass, believes that this is really important. And Sansa starts claiming, you know, John is too focused on the White Walkers. He's ignoring the clear threat of Cersei to the south. But John bluntly just says to Sansa, "I don't care about Cersei." I don't care who sits on the Iron Throne. All Jon gives a shit about at this point is stopping the White Walkers. With three dragons, Cersei doesn't stand a chance. If Jon can get in with Daenerys now, while they're both rebels, then maybe he can convince her to help. And Sansa sort of believes him about the White Walkers, but without seeing them, you can't help but be a little bit sceptical. Jon begs her to trust him, but Sansa's kind of privately unconvinced, because she doesn't really trust anyone anymore. So Jon leaves, Sansa's put in charge of Winterfell, and we pretty quickly, quickly see her paranoia and suspicion start to come out. When this new maid turns up who she doesn't recognise, she immediately sets about having everybody questioned. Where'd this person come from? Sansa's kind of coming apart at the seams here. She's terrified that Cersei's going to come up and wipe them out out of nowhere. She's terrified that Jon's made another mistake, been too trusting, and that they're going to have another red wedding on their hands. Crucially, this is where we begin to see the impact of everything Sansa has been through. Because for the first time, she doesn't have... She doesn't have something that she has to try to survive. She's no longer betrothed to Joffrey. She's no longer in Littlefinger's clutches or with the Boltons. She's home. She's technically safer than she's been since the start of the show, at least for now. But we get the sense that that peace is what's giving her time to reflect. And that time to reflect is bringing that trauma crashing home. So into Sansa's fragile mental state comes Littlefinger. Now again, because he's not a fuckwit in this version... He doesn't try to confront John in the crypts beforehand. He just keeps out of the way, keeps quiet until he finds his chance to worm back into Sansa's confidences. And he's he, not that much of a fuckwit, though. No, he is in, the, in this season, yeah, absolutely. Walk into the Stark's private area where nobody but Starks are meant to go, and he doesn't know that, and try to confront John. Like, no, he's smarter than that. Yeah, maybe. So, um, but he's yeah. trying to cause chaos, Gabe. Chaos is a ladder. Chaos um, is a ladder, mate. So in this moment, he takes the role of mentor and comforted Sansa. 
He tells her that she needs to consider the greater good here. John might think he saw what he saw up north, but more likely it was just some wildling trickery. Because after all, he's a soldier, not a leader. Sansa, meanwhile, has seen the worst the Seven Kingdoms has to offer, and she is equipped to lead Winterfell. All she needs to do is take charge. After all, she technically has more right to it than John does. And loyalty can shift very easily when one person proves themselves more, more worthy of it. For example, the person who didn't leave. So maybe once upon a time, Sansa would have been outraged by this, but she seems to genuinely think about it. And as she does, she looks out the door and we see her eyes land on that new maid passing her room. Maybe she's got some food for the kitchens or something. And Sansa starts to think about how she sort of fully embarrassed herself and weakened her position due to her inability to trust. But she says, no, John is family. And her father always taught them family comes first. After all, when the cold winds rise, the lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. Oh, I like it. Yeah, all right. So Littlefinger, however, begs her to consider. He didn't bring his army north to hand Winterfell to a bastard brute. He believes in Sansa. After all, she learned from the best. She needs to step in and take charge. But Sansa's firm. She trusts her brother. And two days later, a scandal rocks Winterfell. Because while cleaning, somebody finds a copy of Sansa's letter that she sent from season one. The letter begging Rob to bend the knee to Cersei. And the outrage is immediate. Now, maybe for a moment it kind of seems outsized and irrational, like maybe, I don't know, Arya's response in the actual show. (laughs) And maybe the lords here should understand. But what we have to understand is that after years of wars and uncertainty and not knowing who to turn to and not knowing if they're still going to have their kingdoms tomorrow, we underestimate just how much they valued having strong, stark leadership again. And maybe it's so much that they've projected memories of Ned and Catelyn onto the, after all, much younger and much more inexperienced John and Sansa. And maybe the tiniest hint that that trust might be misplaced, even if Sansa did write the letter as a scared child, maybe that's shaken the foundation of this new Northern Alliance. So Sansa in court finds herself bombarded with questions and accusations, accusations that she remains Cersei's puppet, that her suspected reluctance for John to go to Daenerys is in fact due to her desire for Winterfell to yield to a different queen. Sansa tries to defend herself, but she's struggling to stand up to the outrage of the lords. And it builds and it builds and it builds until finally she just cracks. You weren't there, she screams. None of you were. You did not go through what I did. You did not feel what I felt. You have no idea. And I will not stand here and be attacked by lords who sided with Ramsay Bolton. And then one of the cast darks just looks at her and says, better to side with him than to marry him. And one by one, They all troop out. And Sansa's left alone with no idea of where to turn. At the back of the hall, she just sees that maid just watching her with narrowed eyes before she slips out too. That maid. Of Sansa's growing failures. (laughs) So, into all this, Littlefinger appears again. And while Sansa doesn't want to see him, he begs her to let him help. He can give her advice. He can show her how to salvage this. After everything, hasn't he come through for her? Didn't he save the Battle of the Bastards? She has to know that he remains loyal and that he and that he will give her the Knights of the Vale, which, by the way, are the only unbroken fighting force left in the Seven Kingdoms. Sansa seems to take this on board. She, thinks, she thanks Littlefinger, but she says, you know, for now she'd like to be left alone. However, she's obviously starting to consider his words and starting to consider her options when a couple of surprise visitors arrive at the gates of Winterfell. Is it you, Gabe? Are you one of the visitors to Winterfell? <laughs> the, the, the visitors to Winterfell are uh, Bran Stark and Mira Reid. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. It was gay. <laughs> so, um, Bran's immediate request is to be taken to Jon Snow, the king in the north. But he's informed that Jon Snow's gone. So instead, he's reunited with Sansa, who is so happy to see him. So happy to finally have a family member here who she feels like she can connect with. But... Bran, of course, is different to how she remembers him. And not different like in the show, because that was bullshit and the change literally happened between last season and this one with no clear point of difference because, I don't know. Mate, he's got like 18 memories in his head. Yeah, and at the end of last season, he was still recognisably me. But (laughs) then he turned into weird, cold-eyed, also me, I guess. But um, He he still gives good hugs, though. Yeah, well, I I guess. 
and you know reminds his sister of her traumas and things like that because mm. lovely. Yeah. Anyway, in this version, Bran is more or less the same as he was at the end of last year. He's a little bit older. He's a little bit wiser than the kid we knew. He is still grappling with the immense potential of his new power and the inconceivable danger of the White Walkers that he now knows exists. So while he is happy to see his sister, he's kind of more concerned about the threat of what's up north and what they're going to do about it. Sansa tries to explain to him she needs help. She needs her family right now. But Bran, upon hearing that Jon is also concerned by the White Walkers, is far more interested in talking to him. And then in the background, something starts to happen. See, all the lords are a little disillusioned with Jon and Sansa at this point. One disappeared and showed little interest in their concerns, and the other seems blatantly unfit for ruling. And now the legitimate heir of Winterfell is back. They might just have someone proper to rally behind. And Bran does kind of pick up on this, and he's a little bit amused. Sansa tries to explain to him everything that's happened, and Bran does start to see her point. I mean, the White Walkers might be the real threat, but the fact is a fractured alliance cannot meet that threat with any kind of convincing defense. They have to find a way to hold all together somehow. Because again, the pack survives. Whether facing up to the threat of Cersei or of the Walkers, the Starks cannot be divided if they want to get through this. Because division is how they suffered their previous defeats. And so Sansa weighs it all up and she makes a choice. And she reaches out to Littlefinger. And she starts taking his advice. Starts talking to him and hearing what he has to say. And Littlefinger is very, very happy about this. Because Sansa, now in a position of power as the de facto Lady of Winterfell, and now a more willing pupil than ever before, is so much more valuable. And so Littlefinger sets about instructing her from her new position. Sansa's literally learning on the job. And you know what? It kind of seems to work. She listens to him on what to say to the lords, on how to approach the small folk and their demands, and slowly, as time passes, we see things begin to change. Unity slowly starts to return to Winterfell. Sansa strategically keeps Bran front and centre, having promised her brother she will help him. In return, his appearance in court seems to consolidate her power, and so things start to change. But meanwhile, Littlefinger is delighted. Because Sansa's listening to him and seeing the outcomes, and this will make her more inclined to trust him, and so his puppet grows more attached to him by the day. Everything is going to plan, and as it stands, Littlefinger currently has both Winterfell and the Vale at his command. Effectively, the North belongs to him. And if things go badly for Jon Snow, then Littlefinger will be in a prime position to hold on to that power. So he's just, you know, I'm very happy for you, Sansa, for coming to me. Then Climb one on day, my ladder. <laughs> one day, something very surprising happens. A band of knights arrive at Winterfell, carrying the banners of the Vale. And in their midst, still sickly and kind of pathetic, but older, <laughs> is Robin Aaron. <laughs> yes, the comeback we're all waiting for. So, the Vale knights favorite. with Robin Aaron, with Milky. Um, <laughs> so... Robin Aaron and the Vale Knights ride into Winterfell, and they're greeted by Sansa, who greets Robin very warmly. Littlefinger sees from a distance, and he's obviously surprised, but being Littlefinger and kind of an expert at this, he masks that surprise and hurries over, adopting a smile, ready to talk to his adopted son, and then Robin just looks at him and says, seize him. And Littlefinger is taken to his complete shock. Sansa's horrified. What the hell is Robin doing? But upon retreating inside with Robin and his advisors, it becomes clear that Robin has been informed that Littlefinger killed his mother. And as Robin is the true Lord of the Vale, he's decided to exercise his right and have the attempted usurper removed. Now, it's pretty obvious at this point that this message was given to Robin by somebody a lot smarter and a lot less milky. (laughs) Potentially somebody with reason to want Littlefinger removed. But even as Sansa tries to argue for Baelish, it becomes clear that the young Lord is refusing to budge. His His volatility has proven a threat right at the point where Littlefinger was too distracted by Winterfell to deal with him beforehand. So Sansa successfully argues for a fair trial for Littlefinger, and Robin agrees. The trial begins, and it's far extended beyond what we see in the show. We see Littlefinger, having rallied from his initial shock, deploying every weapon in his arsenal. His smooth tongue, his wit, his ability to lie, it all comes to the forefront. And he demands witnesses to his crimes. Now, at this, there's silence in the court, but then a witness does come forward. The young maid Sansa was so suspicious of. And the maid. scared. The Maid. This maid claims that she saw Littlefinger plant the letter that turned everyone against Sansa. Hearing this, Littlefinger goes pale, tries to claim she's lying, but as she does, we see Sansa's expression harden. The maid departs shortly after another witness arrives, a young man who comes forward and claims that he saw Littlefinger push Lysa. 
one of the Knights of the Vale. And at this, Littlefinger tries to catch Sansa's eye because she, after all, knows that at that moment nobody else was present. But he can't say that because to do so would be to incriminate himself and admit his involvement. And we're getting the sense that Sansa's not exactly in the best mood to come to his defense. And so the tide of the case turns. And finally, Sansa's heard enough. As a lady of Winterfell, she sentences Littlefinger to death. And he's taken away to be hanged. And as Littlefinger is led on his final march to the gallows, shaking and pale, terrified and unable to understand what has happened to him, Sansa departs the court. And we see juxtaposed their two walks as Sansa enters a side room where the young witness waits there. Then he reaches up and removes his face. And the two sisters smile at each other. Oh, boy. (laughs) And then together they walk up onto the balcony where their father used to watch them looking down at the courtyard. Bran's already there. And together... They watch Littlefinger stand on the gallows. He looks up at them. And as Sansa smiles coldly down at him, he realises what has happened. <laughs> he realises who sent the raven to Robin telling him the truth. Who kept Littlefinger so distracted that he never caught wind of the approaching Knights of the Vale. Who found a way to remove Littlefinger while keeping the veil on her side. Who kept the return of her sister quiet and acted out of control to ensure that nobody ever realised just how effectively she was pulling the strings. And as mentor and student look at each other one last time, Littlefinger just smiles. Oh, nice. As a lever is pulled... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Thanks, mate. (laughs) As a lever is pulled, and he falls. And so our Winterfell subplot ends with Bran, Sansa and Arya reuniting Winterfell with the combined forces of the Northern Lords and the Vale on their side, ready to face the approaching winter. The pack, ready to survive. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. now, look. um, I picture Ari just giving Littlefinger the finger or something. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's better if it's Bran, just... (laughs) Stoic-faced. Massive improvement. Yeah, look, there's no lying to the audience. Um, yeah, Yeah, and we get to actually see Arya... Learn, use her things that she's been learning for the past like yep. three seasons. Littlefinger is <sighs> one of the most clever characters in the show, so this version I prefer because he genuinely gets outsmarted rather than the bullshit that we saw in the actual show. Yeah, he got genuinely outsmarted last time, just mm. with lies and but bad writing. That line, yeah. <laughs> there's that line earlier where he's like, "Oh, I've con- I've considered every eventuality," and it's like, except for except for that one. Yeah, like. Where they were obviously rusing you by having their private conversations that you couldn't hear? Could they have, like, could they, like, hmm, could they, in the current story, could they have the conversation where, like, Aya and Sansa, like, think about the conversation and Bran Bran sits there and goes, oh, yes, yes, I agree, and goes and tells the other one what they're thinking? Yes, Bran, Bran, (laughs) Bran. Yes, Bran, Bran climb my ladder. (laughs) It's made of chaos and dead people. (laughs) But I'm dead now. I, I am just sad that Littlefinger and Varys never crossed paths again. Yeah. Because a lot of like the early season stuff was it was like a game against those two. Those two are pulling the strings of the whole Which thing. Which is what made it so interesting. Yeah. And then um, the politics sort of went out of it. Your favourite thing, mate. The politics just yeah. disappeared. You know, mate, love me some politics, it's Sean. All spe- <laughs> it's all spectacle. I'm actually going to have a crack at fixing Tom's favourite incest couple. Um, no, no. I'm assuming your favourite is Jamie and Cersei. Second favourite. Oh. No, that's, that's my favourite incest couple. Oh, your favourite. Sorry. Yeah, just yeah. Ah. My favourite's like Robin because there's no way he's not a product of incest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Milky. Um, <laughs> so season six ended with Jamie arriving at home. Uh, he was on the hilltop looking down on the destruction of King's Landing that Cersei had just caused. So for me, it's natural and it's consistent for his character, something that's disappeared in Game of Thrones, but let's go with it. Um, to confront Cersei about that because over the course of the last couple of seasons we've seen Jamie change and obviously Cersei's changed as well. She's been through quite a bit. Um, but there's this huge gulf between them now and if you add into that that Jamie's sort of been here and there, he was on a mission in Dawn, he uh, was in River Run dealing with Blackfish. They haven't had a hell of a lot of time together. So Jamie confronts her about what she's done, the lives she's taken and now their son, their last son is dead and he kind of says to her, for what? Like what have we got out of this? Jamie tells her about the day he became the Kingslayer because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's never told Cersei that. It was just Brienne that he told about it, right? 
I think so, yeah. That he killed Aris yeah, Targaryen. I think that was the weight of the moment. That he wanted yeah. to kill everyone with wildfire, thousands of people, but Jamie couldn't bring himself to let it happen. And now, all these years later, Cersei has done that very thing. So that's got to be a big thing for him, and it wasn't in the show, right? So what the hell was it all for, he says. And Cersei looks at him and says, for us. She reaffirms her love for him, and this tense mom- moment is diffused ever so slightly. But that tension sort of that lies just below the surface for them needs to remain all season, and it kind of didn't. It bobbed its head at the end, but it kind of just disappeared throughout the season. It was it was like when she reveals the pregnancy, there's that bit where he's like, Oh, you're pregnant, and then she does that if you ever have a meeting without me again, and he's like, Oh, you're still that person. Yeah, there's there's like shades of it, but they really needed to develop it a lot because that's like at the crux of what their relationship needs to become Not about. Fair. So then they have sex because you know that's what they do. That's the stuff we all want to see, oh, right? Isn't it? <laughs> But there's nothing pleasant. <laughs> Come on, guys. There's nothing pleasant I'll about it. I'll become that guy. That's good. <laughs> Maybe the camera angle just stays on Jamie's eyes and it's just empty and there's kind of nothing there because in the show they kind of presented it as like, oh, things are nice. Things are going well. But it shouldn't be. Things are terrible. And for like maybe the first time, he's very scared. Things are changing. Now, I'd like for Kyburn to be a little bit more active because he's the hand of the queen and every other king or queen in the character, I don't know how many there are now, there's millions of them by now, but they have a very active hand who's like a major character in the show. So I want to see Kyburn a little bit more. I also like the idea of putting him into most scenes with Jamie and Cersei because it's just another way to create tension between them. Jamie asks Cersei a question and Kyburn sort of steps in and answers it and there's this like distance between them. But a point that really needs to be delivered and driven home harder, I think, in the show is the fact that they don't have any money, they're in shocking debt, but also the food situation. They actually can't afford to feed their people anymore. That's why the High Garden sort of takeover is so crucial. Apart from destroying an enemy, once again, Cersei sends Jamie away to deal with that. Now, I love that Elena Tyrell scene. I think it was one of the stronger moments in the series. The best. She had the best death, I reckon, out of any character so, so far. Absolutely. She's the scene. only character who dies on her own terms. The main thing I love about that is that she openly speaks to Jamie about you know his love for Cersei, but she really hammers him by saying this line that I love, where she'll be the end of you. She's a disease, and I regret my role in spreading it, and you will too. Now, the problem is the show didn't really do anything with that for ages until kind of the very end, but I'm not even sure Jamie was thinking about that in the final moments. He leaves her, and then let's keep that Dothraki and the dragon attack scene because I think it was, again, one of the series highlights. It was visually probably the best scene in the season, maybe the White Walker one at the end or something. It shows them what they're up against too. Like It shows Jamie that it's like, oh, nah, fuck, we actually can't win this It's also the first time that we actually see the Dothraki properly in action going into war. And we've always heard stories about, oh, they'll be unstoppable in the open field and finally we see it. And it sounds like thunder. And I actually like seeing Jamie very scared. Yeah, definitely. It's a cool thing. Um. So we've got that bit, you know, when Jamie's tackled into the water to save him from the dragon fire. I'd like to tweak that a bit because I think when we all watched that episode, we assumed, oh, shit, he's in a fair bit of trouble here because he's got heavy armour. That hand's probably heavy as well, right? I it's don't know. gold. Right, yeah. So I think when that episode, you know, but then they just cut to him the next episode and he's just like bobbing up. Him and, he and Bron have just swum miles away. Just like <laughs> Bron is <laughs> so a really easily. good swimmer. Oh, um, he's terrific. You could have an, like, he an Olympic just swimming. Team. He's just swimming what Gendry is to run <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> But I want to see what Jamie. an Olympic team, <laughs> right? And you got the Night King throwing the, the javelin. javelin. Yeah, oh, it's incredible. Oh, it's so good. But I think you have Jamie drowning, and I think he's sinking all the way to the bottom of the Blackwater. He looks around those murky waters. He looks at his armor with you know Lannister lions adorning it, and it's dragging him down. Bronn swims down to help him, but he's too heavy. I kind of like the visual idea of Jamie having to actually remove. His colours, his nice. family, the Lannisters. Lannister lions, nice. and that's the thing that gets him out of it. The so Lannisters are weighing him top. down, Sean. Absolutely, his family weighs him Oof. down and all of that stuff. Now, I'd show things a little bit slower too. I wouldn't have him go straight back to King's Landing. I'd actually show him going back, you know, no armour, he's filthy, he's with Bronn, who's already a pretty dirty bastard. And they have to go the long way through all the common people. And people are terrified in the city. They're talking about dragons and Dothraki. Some people recognise him. They throw rocks at him. They hate him. They hate his sister more. It's just chaos in the city, absolute chaos. So when he makes it back to the Red Keep, he's stung even further because Cersei's kind of more interested in dragons and you know the army numbers than his safety and well-being. They argue. Jamie declares they cannot win. It's absolutely pointless. And Cersei calls him a coward and says, what would father think of you? And he just looks at her and says, father died taking his shit. I don't, I don't care what he'd have thought. He's just sort of beyond that point now. And onto that, all the food they seized from Highgarden was destroyed by the dragons, which I'm pretty sure they did in the show, right? All the food got destroyed. Yeah. But also, I would like it if all the gold they took was destroyed as well. 
because they got that okay. out early. Because that plot line to me just felt far too easy. We saw it like Cersei desperate for all of about five minutes before she got the gold back. So now that's gone. They're still in debt in the Iron Bank. They're furious. Her people are starving. Her allies are shrinking. Her enemies close in. She's almost every bit as imprisoned as she was in the Red Keep in you know, previous seasons. And it's finally hitting her that she's starting to lose Jamie too. Jamie has his meeting with Tyrion, where they you know, met down in the dungeon or whatever, talk about the White Walkers, that stupid, stupid plot line where they were going to steal one and show it to Cersei. Are you getting uh, rid of that? Uh, no, I'm, that just stays because I can't be. I'm not doing. If we were doing like uh, Daenerys and John and Tyrion's thing, that would be the first thing that has to go because, God, it's dumb. It's so shit. But I've left it because it's just, it ties everything in together at the end, I guess. So it's not that shit? No, it's terrible. It's, it's bloody terrible. Whatever. <laughs> I wanted you to fix it. I it's a matter to of laziness, not integrity. <laughs> Let's get it right. Oh, yeah, right, fair. So Jamie, he takes that information back to Cersei and she freaks out that he met with Tyrion. But I want Jamie to actually fight back here because in the show, like he kind of was just like, oh, and he just took it. But he should say to her, I didn't betray you at all. I was led to the dungeons and when I arrived, Tyrion walked out. I wanted to hurt him for what he's done to this family, but I let him speak. I didn't seek him out, certainly not against you. Because in the show, you know, he never fights it. It's, I found it really odd that he just let Cersei have that over him. It was a little bit ridiculous. He's desperate. Yeah, but she's pregnant, question mark. Well, yeah. You know, she's starting to worry because, you know, he thinks the war's lost. He's desperate to have meetings, apparently, with opposing sides, discuss things like truces and Cersei. She's very scared. And that's kind of an uncommon thing. We don't really see her scared that often either. So she does the only rational thing that she and Kyburn can think of in order to keep Jamie on side. She says, Jamie, I'm pregnant. So... I th- I a lie? I think a lie. Yeah. I don't think I, the I, show has done that, but that's what I would Glee do. Didn't Glee do this plot line? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, but that's the and level we're at. Question, <laughs> question. No, 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 no. What have you got against Glee? No, I was going to say, didn't also The Room do this plot line? <laughs> oh. Again, what have you got against The Room? Less than I have against Glee. <laughs> Those are your two favourite things. Yeah. <laughs> Just back to back. Just so glee room, glee on, room, on, glee room. <laughs> Upon it's hearing that, night. immediately Jamie softens. He's also conflicted. But Cersei drags him in for a hug and whispers that thing that she does in the show. She says, don't ever betray me again, which is more of a threat than anything. It's nice. So now we're in that final episode and it's the big meeting where they've run at the Dragon Pit place, whatever it was called. Daenerys, she's late. The Dragon Pit? The Dragon Pit, yes. Is that Literally, what it was? That is Literally the, the Dragon, dragon pit. pit. Can I just quickly sidetrack here? Why did she fly in on dragons? Isn't that like an act of okay, war? Okay, no, 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 look. Like, I know if, she's showing her strength, yeah. but don't fly in with two dragons when one's just been killed and let everybody know that you've only got two now. Like, what the fuck? Well, no one else picked up on that except Cersei. But, like, if you had dragons, right, and you're going to a meeting with your enemy, you're not going to not rock up on those fucking dragons. Fair. You're going to ride in on a horse and be like, yeah, I left my dragons in the uh, other car park. <laughs> She didn't give a shit of that. I've been waiting for you for a long time. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, but but that's also wrong. Cersei also, just got there as well. Can, can Cersei, like Cersei being the only person who picked up on that, doesn't forgive it still being a fucking stupid move on Daenerys's part. Yeah. She's just lucky that nobody else was dumb enough to well, no, be but she's, by but she's not a good leader. Like She's still growing into her leadership. She's like, no, fuck yeah, I'm riding my dragons. I don't it. think anybody in the show is a good leader. Jon is. No, he's shit. Davos is a good leader. No, no. Do you know who was the good leader, Sean? Who? Stannis Baratheon. Stannis Baratheon was the uh, the one true king and blah, blah, blah. Who gives a shit? He's dead. Dead burning. <laughs> so Daenerys is late. They're all waiting for her. But Brienne is there. She's exchanging looks with Jamie because they haven't seen each other for a little while. And this sets Cersei off. Like, I kind of wish the show would have done a little bit more with this because she hates it. So she asks why Sansa Stark is not attending and why she sent this traitor, Brienne, in her place. Brienne has to hold her tongue. Cersei says that it's basically treason against the crown, but Brienne won't rise to the bait. She says nothing. Cersei looks at Jamie with contempt and then a bit of a smile and then looks at Brienne. She calls the mountain forward. Oh. And she says that this one has forgotten how to use her tongue. Bring it to me. And so the mountain slowly walks forward oh, towards Brienne. Jamie looks at Cersei and he tries to stop her, but she digs her nails into his arm and silences him. Brienne takes a step back as the mountain draws out his giant sword. She draws her own and manages to parry his first blow, but it knocks her off balance because he's far stronger. He kicks her in the chest, probably breaking her ribs, and he rises his sword above his head, but when he starts to bring it down, he finds Jamie standing in front of her. Leave her alone, he shouts. More at Cersei than the mountain. She stares at him for a long, very long beat before ordering the mountain to stand down. And this is when Daenerys sort of arrives on the dragons and everyone's kind of like, holy shit, fucking dragons. And things kind of simmer... <laughs> Things kind of simmer down a bit. So maybe the dragons were good. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> they saved lives. 
I'm going to have Cersei agree to the truce once she sees you know the threat. Once you know the Hound brings the White Walker out of the box and all of that, I'd remove the part where Jon Snow fucks things up with his honor and honesty and kind of like says, "No, I won't bend the knee." And Cersei's like, "Well, fuck you then." I'd get rid of that because it's well, kind how of how else was the show going to feel at seventy minute running time? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Lots um, of lingering shots on Daenerys and Jon looking at one another, <laughs> and that, that I counted for about twenty minutes of the episode. <laughs> more of them. <laughs> I want to remove the need for Tyrion to go and make his shady deal. Um, Partly because I've already, I'm implying that the pregnancy is fake. Well, what our theory for that probably has to be that he's cut a deal that the, the child that she has is going to inherit the throne or whatever, right? That's the prevailing theory at the moment. Get rid of that. The baby's a lie. Tyrion never has to go there because John doesn't fuck things up at the meeting, and Cersei agrees. Um, okay, so then afterwards, Jamie's preparing the men for the march north, like he does in the show. When Cersei dismisses him and tells all the others, you know, she, she says, a lie, we're not going. He's shocked, but Cersei declares that they will stay in King's Landing and rule while all the other armies fight and destroy each other. She says, we'll deal with whatever scraps are left over. Jamie says to her, no, we made an oath that we would band together and fight. And Cersei just looks at him and smiles mockingly. Breaking oaths has never been a problem for you. None of them matter, she says. Kyburn has already begun assembling fresh stocks of wildfire. When they win their war and limp back down here, we'll just burn them all. Oh, fuck. Jamie That's looks close. at her for a long moment and then says, and that will be the day that my sister became the Mad Queen. He turns to leave and Cersei says, I warned you about betraying me again. And the mountain steps forward. Jamie weighs her up and says, Elena Tyrell told me you were a disease. The worst disease. And I'm sick of spreading it. He turns his back on her and Cersei fumes. And then we you know, bring that music in. You know the one that they played when Cersei blew everybody up? I really like that. Song. Yeah, the, yeah, bring yeah, that yeah. in. Except right? to the seven. So that starts to swell. She nods at the mountain and he draws his sword and he marches towards Jamie. But Jamie's not. This time he pulls his sword out. He parries two blows from the mountain, but he's no match for him. Before he gets knocked to the ground, the mountain raises his sword high over him. He looks at Cersei. She looks at Jamie and then she nods. But then soldiers enter the room. All red lions wearing Lannister army um, army you know, uniform. They circle around Jamie. They draw their swords and they aim them at him. Cersei smiles triumphantly and she says to them, seize the traitor. But the men do not move. That's our fucking commander, comes a voice from the back. Bronn walks forward. Oh, yes! yes! <laughs> and the soldiers, all 200 of them, turn their swords on the mountain. Bronn says, soldiers follow their commander, not their fucking queen. And then we cut to the field outside King's Landing, like we did in the show. Jamie's on horseback. He holds out his hand as snow falls into it. But behind him this time ride thousands and thousands of Lannister soldiers. They're all marching north to fight the White Walkers. Back at the Red Keep, Cersei stands on the balcony watching them ride away. She watches Jamie as he goes, but he doesn't turn back and look at her. As she just, snow just falls down all around her because winter has come. Oh, Sean. Oh, Sean. Yes. Boy, boy, I like when the mountain does things. Yeah, I. I <laughs> so does Cersei. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that's that ticks lots of boxes for me. Thank um, you. Do you? Would you do where like in that beat where he tells her that you know Elena Terrell said that you're a disease? Would that be when he reveals? By the way, she killed Joffrey. Oh, I think he said. I think he said that earlier, didn't he? When, when did it happen? So in the actual he show? says it when it was in the show because he, he says her, it when he tells Tyrion her when comes, he comes back. Right? Tyrion didn't yeah, yeah, kill yeah. Joffrey. It was yeah, Elena. I think, I think that just happens earlier. I mean, he could It'd be drop nice the bomb if there. he kept it to himself. He goes to tell yeah, her something else comes up. And she's good. like, "No, what? I'm not going to tell you." And then at the end, he's like, "Oh, and by the way, she killed our son." Yeah, you piece of and shit. And she said you're a disease. Fuck you. Yeah. Bang. Bro- yeah. Just oh. that'll work. So, uh, despite the fact that I have said that uh, I like the show a lot, um, does something need fixing? Something needs fixing. So the 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 way I've decided to, the thing I've decided to fix is. Uh, our old mate, the Hound, and his kind of adventures with the Brotherhood, just purely because I want to fill in the gap between when you see him and when they finally arrive at Eastwatch by the sea. Like, there's literally just sure. like, oh, they're in prison. Oh, how'd they get here? Nah, nah. Cool. Like, yep. you could actually, there's actually a story you could fill in there. Um, so the first, the first simple fix is it's basically, it's exactly the same, right? So it's the Hound, he's with the Brotherhood, they're moving through the snow, um, they go to that house... Uh, and while they're doing it, they're like finding Lannisters and killing them. Maybe they come across a particularly Ed Sheeran-looking Lannister and kill him. Um, and then once they've done that, they do that whole scene where he's like, look into the flames, tell me what you see. We, we ask the Lord of Light to show us what we see. And instead of in the show where the Hound looks at the fire, despite having not believed in anything the entire 
franchise's history go, oh, no, I do believe in the Lord of Light. I can see a mountain. He just is like, oh, this is fucking bullshit. There's nothing in there. You, you, you're idiots. And they're like, all right. And he goes outside, you know, out into the snow. And we see him out there on his own, and he is terrified. Right. Like, he is absolutely petrified, like gulping in big, like something about looking in the flames, not just the flames itself. He has seen something, but he's not going to tell them because that's not what the hound does. So the next morning they all wake up and Beric and uh, Thanos, Thoros, Thanos, Thoros, Thanos is that guy from the Avengers. Uh, <laughs> they, they come to him and they're like, so did you, did you see anything in the flames? We, we haven't had any messages from the Lord of Light. We're on our current mission, but if there's a new mission, did you see anything? And the hound kind of takes a moment and he's like, no, nah, no, nah, it's business as usual. It's like, well, what's, what's business as usual for us? It's like, well... We, we kill Lannisters and we kill anyone who just kind of gets in our way so you can come with us. So what they start doing is the Hound's kind of wandering with them um, and they're killing Lannister soldiers and there's like Frey soldiers that have run like away from the twins, right? Anytime they come to a Frey soldier though, they just like tie him up. Right, so they take him as prisoners. So kill Lannisters, capture Freys, that's just the way it goes. And every now and again, Thoros is like, so did you see anything in the flames tonight? And the Hound's like, don't fucking see anything in the flames, you cunts. Like that kind of thing. Um... And eventually this keeps going on and on. And after all, he's like, why do we keep killing the Lannisters but gathering the Freys? Like, why don't we just kill them all? I, li- I like killing. I'm good at it. Why, why are we separating them? And um, so I was just like, well, they have to stand trial. He's like, okay, that's, that's a weird thing. And he kind of wanders away from the group. And one of the soldiers is like, you think they're going to let you go too? After everything you've done? After who you are? And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's like, you're going to stand trial too, my friend. You're going to stand trial too. Anyway, so they keep going on and on and on this quest of rounding up people. And eventually it's like, it's time to go home. We've got lots of phrase and it's, it's time to put them on trial. And he's like, who, who are we putting them on trial for? He's oh, like, no. the Lord of Light. <laughs> the Lord of Light, Gabe, is going to be, it's going to be standing trial. And a bastion of the Lord of Light will be assisting us in this trial. You have not. I might have. <laughs> so they arrive at the, the Brotherhood's like base of operations and the Hound is instructed by Beric to, like, don't come in to the trial room. You're not needed. You just wait out here. And if anyone escapes, kill them. So they start bringing in, in like, the phrase. And every time one of them goes in, they walk in and they just start screaming. Like, just terrified screaming. Can I just throw in there quickly, who here in the room has read the books? A couple of people. Is anybody getting a sense of what might be going on right now? All right, continue unmolested. So this, this, uh, this keeps going on for quite some time. The hound's always curious, like, why do they keep screaming? And eventually, he's like, nah, this, these guys are like some weird cult. They're all in this fire stuff. Whatever they're doing is, like, wrong. So I'm, I'm going in to see what's going on. If they're burning people alive, I'm not having a part of this. The hound's attracted by the sounds of screaming too, right? Well, yeah, sure. He's, like a, he's grown a little. Um, so he, like, comes into the room and sort of pushes past all the brotherhood and they're all like, what, what are you doing? No, no, no. And he walks in and he stands forward. He goes, what the fuck is going on here? And he looks across and at the end of a room seated in a throne is the desiccated corpse of Catelyn Stark. Alive and well. Well, not well. She's alive. She looks bloated. Is she she looks Well, she's been brought back to life similar to the way Beric gets brought back to life. Thoros brought her back. Because the Lord of Light compelled them to. Only thing is, she just does not... You know how Beric kind of looks a bit shit every time he comes back? She looks horrific. She had a throat slit, so she can't talk really. She's like gurgling things. But as soon as she spots... As soon as she spots the Hound walk through, her eyes just blaze with fury and she's like, Ah, you! (laughs) And she's like, You betrayed my family. Just as the phrase in the Lannisters portrayed my family, you must die. Now, she doesn't know that the rest of the Starks are alive, because why the fuck would she? Because they're in another part of the town, and ravens don't travel at the speed of light in this version of the show. So, as far as she's concerned, her whole family's dead. And the Hound kind of is initially thrown, and he's like, oh, um, Lady Stark. And she's like, no, they took that name from me. I'm not here anymore. And she's like, okay, cool, this is good. He begins trying to explain to her that he protected Sansa at the Battle of Blackwater and he's brought Arya. He was trying to bring Arya to her and all these things, but she just won't have any of it. And she's like, you will stand trial. Your trial is decided. You will die. And he's like, no, I want to try by combat. And it's like, okay, then arrest him. We'll have a trial of combat next day. So he goes into a prison and basically he has a conversation with Beric and Thoros where he's like, what did you fuckheads do? <laughs> Why is she back? And they're like, we found her body, we saw a vision in the flames, and since we brought her back, we haven't 
had any messages from the Lord of Light. He's given us nothing. We're trapped here. We can't do anything else. Are you sure you didn't see anything in the flames that night? And the gives him nothing again. He's like, you know what I like about dead people? They can't come back and fucking kill you again. <laughs> so he's, he's a little bit conflicted, but he still won't you know, quite come around to it. Anyway, day of the trial by combat comes. And of course, the champion that, uh, that they select is the best swordsman they've got. Beric Dondarrion. So there were moments in the later season where you thought the Hound was going to have to overcome his fear of fire to do something, and then they just didn't do it because they're like, oh, we're probably going to do it in season eight. It'll be really cool. Now do it now, right? So the trial starts, and as we've seen before, the Hound's a fucking good fighter, and he's really good at fighting Beric. Like, he kicks this guy's ass, and the whole time, like, Catelyn's just sitting there just glaring bullets at him and like warbling away with her creepy slit throat voice about how great it's going to be when he dies. <laughs> and Beric's getting his ass kicked because the Hound's a big dude. And then Beric does that like cool thing with his sword and all of a sudden his sword's on fire and this is a completely different prospect. The Hound's like, nah, and tries to back away but the other Brotherhood have kind of circled them in and he's trapped and it, he's going to have to face up to his fear. So over the course of this fight where he's dodging and dodging and trying to get away with it, he eventually just kind of is mesmerized by the flames. And maybe you see the similar look that he had when he looked in the fire that first night and he sees something in the fire of Beric's sword, something that's way worse than whatever he's facing now. And without thinking, he disarms Beric, takes the flaming sword and stabs him in the chest. He's now the, the guy, he's now got a flaming sword. So we basically, we have the hound finally overcoming his fear of fire. Yep. And he takes the sword and he holds it aloft and he's like, I'm free to go. Right? No. <laughs> no way. Catelyn's not having any of that. She starts spitting and ranting and sees him kill him. He's like, we had a deal. This is, you know, the, the way the trial by combat works. I kill the guy. I get to go. And it's like, no. Nah, you've betrayed my family. You're a betrayal. Everyone dies. So he just looks at the sword. Still on fire. And he runs up and he stabs Catelyn Stark in the throat and sets her on fire. And the Brotherhood are, are just stunned as, like, the, she's screaming and going insane. And, and it's like, you know, and she's like, how could you, you, you claim to be a friend of my family's. How could you do this? How could you kill me? And she's slowly dying. And he turns around and goes, you told me. You're not a Stark anymore. Oh, nice. Ooh. And he just slowly starts to walk away. And Thoros and the other Brotherhood are kind of, like, looking at him. And just as he gets to the edge, he goes, I saw something in the flames. We have to go north. So the Hound becomes the leader of the Brotherhood without banners <laughs> because he is a brother without a banner, right? Yeah, good. So he's now got a flaming sword. He's the leader of the Brotherhood. You basically get the same beats as last time. Thoros doesn't die this time, though. Um, or if he does, actually. No, he does. Thoros does die, but this time he <laughs> dies saving the Hound from the bear. Okay, yeah. Okay. So that there's actually a sacrifice, and the Hound's kind of grown to kind of like... In that begrudging way that the hound likes people. Sure. Where it's kind of like, yeah, right, right. Um, so basically the plot happens the same. He delivers the corpse to the thing, but he's now, he's got purpose. He's got agency. He's, he's got an arc. He's got an arc. He's redeeming himself. He can now, he's no longer afraid of fire, which would be like a cool moment. Like in season eight when he's fighting someone and like set something on fire. He's like, <laughs> bitch, I have a flaming sword. But even better, in my head, season eight gets to a point where he has to save Arya Stark's life somehow, probably by killing the mountain so that she can kill Cersei or whatever sure. her, her list is. And when he saves her, she would accomplish her goal. She'd come back and he'd be like, so, you're going to kill me? And she's like, oh, you, you know, you're not on my list anymore. You helped us. And he's just like, no, I killed your mother. And there's just this beat where basically he's like, I have to die. You, I killed your mother. So effectively you do this thing where the hound would kind of redeem himself, but he would have to die. Because there's no other logical option, I think, for the hound to go. And there's so, honour in it. And there's honour in it. Of. There's honour in it. So basically, yeah. all I was doing, my fix wasn't massive. It was just, I just really wanted to do something. Because like, it just fucking, and that was the only thing that really annoyed me. Was I was like, well, I want to know how these guys got to prison. Like, these guys are cool. Why? You just brought them back. But how annoying was it too that the hound looked into the flames for 10 seconds and just believed. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that's the whole thing is that he doesn't believe, he doesn't believe. And it's only in the, in the because that's the whole thing that the whole red priestesses talk about is you don't yeah, believe yeah. until your faith is like gone. Yeah. In that moment, he sees the resurrected corpse of Catelyn Stark like, screaming for his head. Yeah. This guy's lit a sword on fire. He's facing his greatest fear. He just has no faith in anything anymore. He's like, the Lord of Light is now speaking to him. It's the same yeah. way that old mate was able to bring back Jon Snow. The Hound you know? would have been much more likely to look in the flames maybe see something, but turn to them and be like, what the fuck did you put in my drink? 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You drug yeah. me, you cunts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you also uh, made a lot of book readers happy by actually bringing in, I don't know, one of the best subplots in the whole series, which is Lady Stoneheart. Had a bit of a so, dig at the book before, mate, and now you've turned to it. Well, to be honest, I read the book. Um, <laughs> so I don't. So this is the thing. So this is why it's like an adaptation, right? I don't actually know because the thing, no one sort of knows what they're going to do with Lady Stoneheart, which is maybe why she was omitted from the series because maybe she kind of didn't go anywhere or the other characters could serve as her function. Martin um, was very firm on wanting her in Yeah, there. he really, really wanted to keep her. Yeah, because he wanted the hound to kill her in this awesome fight <laughs> that I've just told you all about. So, you know, that's... Um, How does the flaming sword work? You do this and it flames. So the hound can just do that now? Well, no, no. So what I imagine is that you can only do it once you, like, the Lord of Light believes that you're the way to go. So the fact that... <laughs> right? So it's belief, yeah? So the, the only way you can do it is once you start believing in the Lord of Light and you're a vessel for the Lord of Light. Sure. So when he gets the flaming sword the first time, Beric's already done it. So the sword's on fire when he's got it. After he kills Scatlin, he, Scatlin, Catlin, <laughs> he sees the, the vision in the flames of the White Walkers and all that stuff and, yeah. Does Thoros uh, still freeze to death? No, Thoros gets killed by the bear. Okay, yep. So I've just decided. Up. Great, okay, cool. Yeah, no, none of that, yeah, yep. he's dead. He's dead, so, you know. It's, um... It's my like you know my bridge because everything else was. It's just a shame that nobody, none of us, fixed the John Daenerys incest plot. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you can't fix up. <laughs> you can't fix something that you very much love. <laughs> well, which is why because we did say to Tom, we're like, yeah, cool. So he's doing Jamie Cersei, I'm doing Winterfell. Like you'll do John Daenerys. He was like, nah, nah, ah, it's good, it's good. Well, I like it. Like. Just again, like to take the incest out of it. I didn't mind any of the stuff that was going on with their plot. Like, as in him being like, you need to believe in him. Be like, no, 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 no. Her dragon getting taken. Like, the fact that she's not a good leader. Like, all that stuff, you know. All that stuff worked Grey for me. worm. Well, that was dumb. He doesn't have a penis, so. <laughs> it's like Kendall just. <laughs> so, I feel like on that note. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, cool. I feel, I feel like you know we've we've sort of done our best at trying to take a run at fixing the the various disparate non-working elements of Game of Thrones season seven. Um, so yeah, for all of you who came out tonight to listen to us and all of that, thanks for coming. Um, for those listening at home, thanks for listening. Um, you can well for you here, you can just talk to us after the show because we're literally meters away from you. No, um, don't talk to but, me. But, don't, don't. But um, but for those listening at home, you can tweet us in at mm sanspants. Otherwise, I'm at Goldberg Moser. I'm at Orchid I'm at Sidekick of Dowie. And on that note, I've been Gabe. I've been Handsome Tom. I've been Carney. We are flogging some merchandise down the back there. Just, oh, just yeah. a bit of a plug. Um, we've all written a book. Tom hasn't, though. Um, you can get... <laughs> you can grab uh, copies of Gabe's Boone Shepherd. You've got my Dracula sequel, and you've got the artist formerly known as Drob, Damien Robb's got a, a Sherlock-inspired Henry and the Hamster story down there as well, so pick them up. And there's some T-shirts as well. I'll just give people high fives. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Thank you. Cheers.